0: Welcome to Honey, am Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I am the podcast creator and host. And I just want to thank you for joining me today. And thank you for taking the time out when you do to listen to this podcast and to any episodes. I truly appreciate it. I usually have one of my kids with me for the intros, but they have been very busy this winter skiing and snowboarding, which I'm so happy that they're doing. And so it has been me on the last few episodes and the last few interviews if you follow me on Instagram, not just on Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids account, but on my private Instagram account, which is Unschooling Robin, you probably get a chance to see some of the photos of their adventures, snowboarding and skiing and in the mountains. So definitely check that out if you want. I should probably should start showing a few more on Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, but they spend a lot of their winter time outside and it's it's interest that they love to do and we fully support so, since it's just me, I'm actually going to do a read the review today. I know Zara usually brings in in with a song. Read the reviews. I, I'm trying my best, but we don't have her with us today. So, I'm just going to read this review from Shapana. Shapana, th- thank you so much for leaving it. Shapana says, My favorite homeschooling podcast. I've just finished the fourth episode from the beginning of the podcast. So helpful and inspiring. It's our second year unschooling, and I'm looking for support and wisdom of other homeschooling slash unschooling families. Here, I find both. Thank you, Robin. Well, thank you, Shapana. That is a wonderful review, and I truly appreciate it. Actually, leaving a review helps the show immensely. It helps us for whatever algorithm on iTunes, it helps us to get seen and heard by other families. So we really appreciate it when you leave a review. Plus, it gives us great feedback on the show. And if you want to be a part of more conversations with Honey, i Homeschooling the Kids community, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Honey, am Homeschooling the Kids. Take part in any conversations there, direct message me. You can go to my website, imhomeschooling.com, and there is a contact page on there as well. Or you can also find me on Clubhouse under my name, Robin Robertson, and join in our wonderful conversations on homeschooling, unschooling, self-directed education. I have been hosting a weekly room on Clubhouse. You can find me under the name. If you're not on Clubhouse yet, just reach out to me because I have been sharing invites with my listeners because really I want to grow the homeschooling, unschooling, self-directed learning community on that platform. So who's joining me on this episode today? We're continuing with the theme of disruption, and today I have Daniel Prince joining me on the podcast. Daniel Prince is an unschooling dad to four kids. He's an author of the book Choose Life, the tools, tricks, and hacks of long-term family travelers, world schoolers, and digital nomads a book that's about how to escape the nine-to-five, travel long-term with your family via the sharing economy, homeschool, and become a digital nomad. He's also a podcaster, and Daniel's podcast is called Once Bitten, and the focus of the podcast is Bitcoin. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Daniel on the show, to talk about Bitcoin and unschooling, because to me it seems like there's a lot of crossover between the philosophies and values of Bitcoin, When it comes to freedom, autonomy, and decentralization, and unschooling, we talk a lot about freedom, autonomy, and decentralization. And I'm also finding and meeting more Bitcoiners that are unschoolers, or are at least interested in unschooling. So in this episode, we talk about homeschooling and unschooling, and the mindset shifts in that lifestyle choice, as well as Bitcoin, the monetary system, a little bit of history, And I'm sure you'll come to understand why I feel this fits with the episode themes of disruption. If you're interested in finding more about Daniel Prince, you can reach him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is Princey1976. You can also go to his website, princesoffthegrid.weebly.com. Or you can find his podcast, Once Bitten, on any podcast player. I'll also include them all in the show notes. And I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Was this something that was already familiar to you? Or was this your first introduction even to the word Bitcoin or anything around Bitcoin and its financial systems? Let me know and enjoy the episode. Okay, welcome. Today I have Daniel Prince joining me on the show. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, lovely to be here and I look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. He is the author of the book Choose Life, the tools, tricks, and hacks of long-term family travelers, world schoolers, and digital nomads. He is the creator and host of the podcast Once Bitten and An Unschooling Dad. So to begin, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family because you're an author, podcaster, you're an unschooling parent. And from what I know about you, you had a career in finance before this life that you're living now. Why, and then your family chose to world school. Why did you choose to leave the um, regular trodden path for the life you are living at this moment?
1: Uh, okay, two answers. Short answer, the the job I was in was sucking the life and soul out of me. And uh, the longer answer, which I'm sure is probably more interesting to, to those people that are tuning in <laughs> and listening. Um, I'd, I'd got to a point in in my career, yes, you're correct. I worked in finance. I was a, a foreign exchange broker, and I'd been in that role for seventeen years. Had spent two to three years in in London and fourteen to fifteen years in Singapore uh, with with my wife, and by that time, four kids that we had had in Singapore. And the the business I was in just wasn't. Really setting me alight, to say the least. Uh, you 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 kept coming up against a lot of, um, uh, I don't want to use bad language here, but people that you would not generally want to be around, and there there were situations and stresses that were just really becoming far too much to handle, especially as a uh, you know a father of four and a husband. Uh, you you realized. Hang on a minute. My my life isn't at all what I would want it to be right now. And I remember having a, f- a lunch with a friend of mine and laying all of this out. My thoughts airing my dirty laundry, and him turning around to me and saying, "Oh well, you know, you've just got to go and read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss." Hmm. And I looked at him. I'm like, "That's all you got." Like, you know, I just, I, you, know, you just listen to me for the last 30 minutes and you're like, just go and read a self help book and get over it. And I never ever read these kind of books, the thought of reading them. And the reason is I, I worked under somebody that did read these kind of books and he was a mega Anthony Robbins fan, huge to the point where he would pay sixty to $80,000 a year to go on all of his retreats.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Which, of course, meant he got to have 10 to 14 weeks holiday a year, uh, especially over the actual holidays like Easter and Christmas and all of this kind of stuff when he, had, he was not married and he had zero kids, whereas everybody else on his desk were married and had kids, but he was taking all of the holidays. You know, this is the kind of crap that you were dealing with. So I, I just despise this kind of self-help movement. But for some reason I went and bought that book. And that book for sure changed my life. It made me realize that I was living that deferred lifestyle uh, as Ferris calls it. And I was just ha- you know blindly hanging on to the hope that maybe if I played my cards right and I kept uh, I kept at it for the next 10 to 20 years, I might just be able to play it right enough that I could retire early and perhaps start enjoying my life at like 60, 65 or
0: something. Right, the long waiting game.
1: Yeah, 50 if I was really lucky and some investments came in. And that book made me realize what I was doing and the game I was playing. And it really turned my head upside down to focus more on what it was that I wanted out of life. And that came down to when you take a close look at that, well, I want to spend more time with my kids. I realized what made me unhappy was when I would receive phone calls at my desk from my wife telling me about, oh, Samuel's just done this or Sophia's just done that. And I'm like, I I remember getting a text, actually. I was in Shanghai, uh, for the Chinese Grand Prix, entertaining clients. Now, most people are going to think, "Oh, wow, that sounds so great and amazing." <laughs> and you know, it, you know, yeah, of course, it's the first time you do it. It's probably great, but when you're doing that at the age of 35 and you've got two kids at home and you're missing them, and the whole your whole weekend is now gone, and that's the only time you get to spend with your kids. And my wife sent me a text message. This is before smartphones. I can even see it. it was on a dumb phone, a Nokia phone. And uh, it just said Sophia just took her first steps, and I'm um, like, mm. I'm just missing everything. And I was in a traffic jam in a minibus with a bunch of clients that I knew weren't going to be clients for life. That you know, a couple of them were even moving on anyway from their careers. It was just not nothing. Nothing was making sense. Uh, so I decided to to change my life and start concentrating closer on the things that uh, I wanted out of life uh, for myself and for my family and and how, how we should move forward from that point.
0: Okay. Okay. So what happened? Did you come back from Shanghai and say to your wife, okay, this is it tomorrow I'm quitting and we're going to move away or, or was it a slower process for you?
1: That by that point, the Shanghai thing was a, a, a much slower process. I hadn't connected the dots at that point. It wasn't until I read the four hour work week that everything started falling into place. I remember getting to the last page of that book, flipping the book over to the front, and starting all over again because I couldn't believe what I just read hmm. and I just devoured it. I have never read a book like that ever in my life, and I was really pissing my wife off because I just kept reading parts of it to her (laughs) and she was like would you just stop with like you're obsessed with this book and I'm like I know and then I read it a third time and I said well listen to this part because you know yada 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 and it it pulls you into different rabbit holes and of like how do you how is it possible to run a business from a lamp, laptop and be a, you know, a digital mo- nomad and gives you examples of people that had actually done it. And like the virtual assistant part of the chapter, the guy setting that out and how he would use that to kind of hack his, his way into um, you know a better life. And th- there was just so much in it. And so I read that book at the end of, 2013. Yeah, I read that, but I picked it up mid-November 2013. And by March 2014, we'd sold everything. We'd taken our kids out of school. I'd quit my career. We'd given notice to the landlord and we were gone. It was that quick.
0: Wow. Very fast. Okay. So was everybody on board? Nope. Right away? (laughs) So, how did did you have to convince them, or was it just okay? We're going to go and trust me; it's going to be all right.
1: Uh, so, the the way it started to transpire was, um, like I said, I, I kept reading parts of the book to to my wife, and uh, she she would she would say to me, like, you know, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out what's what's wrong, what's been wrong with like, our life here for the last couple of years, the last handful of years, but you've never been open to listening about it. And hmm. I wasn't. I was a completely closed door uh, because I would, I would get home from the office and at least twice a week I would be making a dash home just just to see my wife and the kids before I had a shower got redressed, and had to go out to a client dinner or something. Um, The other three nights, I would just be getting home in time, maybe for reading the kids a story, kiss them goodnight, and then just collapse on the sofa. And I didn't – the last thing you can bring up to somebody that's in that state of mind is, there's something wrong with our lives. We've got to change it.
0: Right. Uh,
1: Right. Especially – and – you know it might sound a bit sexist uh but to to all the the men out there we we, we don't take that kind of criticism very well uh when when we've in our mind we're, we're doing everything we can to keep a roof over our heads and make sure everyone's got a good life and all the things they need a good education and food on the table etc it feels like a a bit of an attack um it, right,
0: on your provider uh, role, any anyone who's it, a provider it, that feels yeah like you're exactly they're not doing the not doing it well or not doing it right,
1: absolutely. And I had not been aware of that at all uh, until this book exposed me to to looking at life differently, and then led me to having these conversations with my wife, and then realizing. How closed I had been to to what she was trying to convey over the last however long, so then that led to a much more natural conversation about it, and that's I think why it was uh, a lot quicker than mm. um, than if it was just one person trying to you know push the narrative. So we we just had very long thoughtful conversations about you know what what are the implications of this. How do we deal with the kids' education? That was always the first thing on, my, on our minds, kids' education. And then that, of course, pulled us into the rabbit hole of, well, there's a whole bunch of people that are either homeschooling or unschooling. World schooling was just about becoming a, a, a term, I think, at, at that point. And, of course, that was something new and exciting. And then we found Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk, um, mm-hmm. Do Schools Kill Creativity? And we yes, realized, yeah. actually, when we watched it, we realized this is probably the second or third time we've watched this TED Talk. But <laughs> now, now it's making so much more sense. And I, I had the privilege to interview Sir Ken um, uh two or three years ago before his passing obviously and uh, it was such a thrill to to speak to the person that because that that ted talk really completely unlocked us on the the path of education and to to have him on a zoom call and the whole family there and to you know just to say thank you for for him putting himself out there at ted at that time to deliver that talk and then the two following ones that he did as well and all of the other work that he did uh, has just released so many families i i believe from you know crippling familial situations so it's uh yeah it was a it was yeah. a big loss to the community
0: yeah, it absolutely was, yeah. I, I remember the first time I had ever watched his TED Talks or Ken Robinson's TED Talk, and it was ch- it was life-changing, absolutely. I, then I read his books, and I was actually working in education at the time at a private school that my kids were attending, or my son at that time because my daughter was still too young. And it, it also, I think, invigorated a lot of educators because so many educators feel – um I find a lot of educators are supporters of self-directed learning um what they call it you know child-driven intrinsic motivation in their learning but they feel that they are handcuffed in many ways by the structure of the system so I think there was finally someone who stepped out and voiced what many people were feeling but many people were just too scared to say and also you you hear the thing well you can't say you know you can't say something unless you have the solution to the problem before but the thing was is nobody was even really talking about it so yeah he was absolutely inspiring to millions upon millions
1: yeah, he, he is still the number one watched TED Talk of all time. Yeah,
0: and yeah. that
1: that's truly amazing. And he delivered it in 2006. I mean, this is pre-iPhone.
0: Mm-hmm, he was so right. far
1: ahead, so far ahead of the game. And he's an educator to, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, he was challenging his faculty to get mm-hmm. better. And to your point, and to anybody listening uh, who are already homeschooling or, or are thinking about homeschooling, or whatever these words are called these days, there's so many different brands of, of <laughs> yeah, this are. alternative education. <laughs> if you're thinking of leaving the education system, do it. There's, it's always, it's going to be there for the next 10 or 20 years. If you've got a question in your mind over it, take a you know, drop a knee, take a year out, try something slightly different. And if that doesn't work for a few months, then try the next thing. And if that doesn't work for a few months, then try the next thing. And if your kids are begging to go back to school, you can always send them back to school. There's so many different options open to you. That's right. And to your point, teachers are just as stuck in the education system as the kids. And it's such a crying shame because the teachers, this is their role in life if you're a teacher if you're a mentor you figured that out you probably figured it out at a very young age but to walk into a system that inhibits you from being able to connect to be able to teach what you truly want to teach because the curriculum is force-fed to you and to be able to teach it on a timeline that you truly know is um gelling with the class you don't have that ability you have to follow the curriculum and to teach it from resources and sources that you want to teach it from you don't have that choice because you have to teach it from the curriculum it's it's a nightmare for a teacher and I'm just so happy that there are services now that are coming online that teachers can go completely freelance and Teach what they want to teach, how they want to teach it, to the timeline that suits the students, and teach students that show up that want to learn that specific subject. and And this is going to explode, and this is how learning should take shape. It should not be a monopolistic, tyrannical, downward, you know, um, force fed system that we've had. Since the late 18th century, it doesn't work anymore. It's defunct. Mm-hmm. It's over. We've got to move on. It, it, I, I don't know how much plainer I could be about my feelings of, about the education system.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> I think it's fairly clear. Yeah. <laughs> I think I understand where you sit. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, I think right now is that I'm seeing amazing innovation and wonderful changes. I think the institution is seeing it themselves, I think especially with this past year, especially with COVID, they're finally forced to make some kind of changes. At the same time, I still see, like with any change, big change for people, our our natural thing is to be fearful and many times to fall back back on the old ways, even more so than we used to. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting um adjustment process and change process in the next couple of years. But yeah, I think the beauty is of it is that parents and kids are now experiencing the choice and the freedom that maybe people talked about, but they never believed before. But now they're actually seeing it on greater, like on a greater uh, aspect on, on a bigger fold. And I think that is really going to help change things because I the change is not necessarily really going to happen inside of it, inside of the institution of schooling. It's going to happen outside. And then that will be the The momentum, the thrust—that's what I think. Maybe some people don't agree, but I mean, there's other factors too, right? The education system is a huge employer. It's usually one of the biggest ministries within the government. Um, There are some old ideas that stick for a long time. There, you know, there's there's so many (laughs) so many other playing factors as well that surround it. That uh, you know, and depending what country you live in, the rest of society sometimes is a bit stuck, and so they kind of keep asking the government and ministry to keep doing the same thing or they want to see certain things but they don't know how to that you can achieve it in other ways or that learning actually isn't really that specific process there's so many diverse ways to learn and diverse people and you know backgrounds and ways to do things so yeah yeah it's uh it's a time of change though i think for sure let's hope so yeah, let's absolutely hope so. Yeah, well, I, but at the same time, I guess there'll be those who do change, and uh, who take that responsibility, and those who don't as well. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out as well. So I want to ask you too. So you guys left. So two thousand fourteen, March two thousand fourteen. You made the choice to leave, to quit your job, to sell everything, and to head out on the road. You started world schooling with your family. You decided to homeschool your kids. And how was that transition for you? Was it, you know, it was, did you discover community right away? Did you discover a a new way of learning and living? How did that unfold?
1: Big changes. That was I remember looking back at it now, and I think we probably made the the same mistake that all newbie homeschoolers make and try and set some kind of schedule to learn by and some kind of timetable, Uh, and then you quickly realize, well, that's never going to work. This is is not homeschool. This is school from home, and there's no way in the world that you, you, you can tell your kid that okay we're going to be teaching math from nine to ten and then we'll have a little break and then we're going to do science from 10 15 and download all this stuff from the internet uh you know nobody has the motivation for that and that is not what homeschooling is homeschooling is a mindset it's a Mm -hmm. lifestyle choice and it's moving completely away from from that i mean like that the the worst, I mean, the, the worst way to try and educate people is to force 25 people into a small room and say, right, go, you know, you're going to listen, and you're going to learn. That's mm-hmm. just not generally how human beings learn. So we, we we figured out, and because we were traveling as well, we were bouncing around a lot, you know, perhaps every two weeks, on average, we were, we were into a different country or a different city and we were home swapping as we went so there there was lots and lots of changes uh so there's only so m- much uh that we could take with us uh, uh resources wise so we were heavily reliant on uh Khan Academy for example which was just an absolute unbelievable resource for for the kids just to sit down and do um do do a little bit of whatever because you you can do anything on that platform it's unbelievable yeah, you can. and the um we had little apps on the phones as well so if we were going on a long train journey for example you could just throw kids love having that little phone in their hand but if you give it to them already open on uh we used to use squeebles uh it was a little a little game free game at the time that the kids could just learn maths on but it was through doing a game and you you had to do like your little times tables And then you got to. It was a little bit like Angry Birds or something like that. And then you could just play the game after that and, and shoot these little characters. And then you realize, my God, I could have spent two hours trying to drill into them the seven times table. They've just spent half an hour on a train, and they're halfway through it. They can recite it already. And you're like, this is this is crazy. Um, so we we kind of tweaked it as as we went. But that is not to say by any stretch of the imagination that it was easy and it didn't have its own stresses and its own pressures and its own arguments and its own blow-ups because at the end of the day, you're a family unit and that is going to happen. One thing I would say to to parents that are new to this, that uh, are even considering it, um, I I found as as a father, uh, all of a sudden... Here's a guy that hasn't been around the family that much of a great deal to being around the family every single minute of every day. That's a big change for me, but it's Mm -hmm. also a big change for everybody else as well. And that brings with it its own challenges because all of a sudden, uh, my wife, who was used to pretty much single parenting, now has an extra input out of left field
0: right.
1: <laughs> like, that, well, what do you mean like just let him go and play and you know they can run around naked in the garden like that that's that's not the way things go down here like, I'll
0: be all right don't worry
1: about it you know it's just 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 weird stuff like that um that plays on that can play obviously on a relationship because everything changes right everything changes first of all your identity changes that's a big yeah. thing. I think that's. I I don't think that's talked about enough. Like the, the change of identity.
0: I, I agree. Yep.
1: Did you struggle?
0: With identity changes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think. Right. I think as a you know as a parent, as a mother who had a career before and then really gave that up to you know full time, like we world schooled and homeschooled to unschool. Uh, that is definitely a shift. And and as well, being you know my husband being around. All the time, as well. It was yeah. There, there's so many shifts and role shifts, and, and the same. You know, taking taking work and life digitally, and um, you know, just the whole shift on his work change in every way. And then the kids no longer, you know, having in school when all of a sudden that's a whole new responsibility on your shoulders, right? I I think that's part of it that we forget is that when we send our kids off to school, I think in many ways, unconsciously even, we're like, here you go, we're releasing our responsibility of our kids and we're just giving it over to the school. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, now we're, you know, we're taking ownership of that for, you know, we feel like we're taking ownership of their learning or their future in that way. So many times I think people, um, parents, let that go when they send their kids to school. So that becomes daunting at first. I think it's a huge gift actually in the end, but at first it's, it can be daunting to have all those changes in responsibility for sure. So, yeah,
1: it truly yeah, is. It
0: be,
1: sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. You're right. You 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 are off the hook. If you put them on the big yellow bus, you're done. Right. I'm yeah. just, yeah. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's not be- my fault if something goes wrong, it's the teacher's fault or it's the school's mm-hmm. fault.
1: Yeah, yeah. 100%. And then you can blame the teacher or yes. you can blame the curriculum or you can blame something else, but you are off the hook because you are doing what society expects from you. Yes, you got the 2.4 exactly. kids, you got the two cars, you got the white picket fence, you send yep. them to the best school. Um, yep. Most people, I would say, here's 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 the the funny thing about um the, the the dichotomy here is that most people look at homeschoolers and think they are irresponsible
0: and <laughs> yeah.
1: Judge them in an instant like yes. you guys you guys are harming your kids you you have no idea what you're doing yep. what thing what what makes you think you have the right to yeah. take them out of uh of school? Uh, another you one think i you love? know
0: better than any of us or anyone who's a professional doing that yep
1: yeah. how do you think you're going to be able to teach science what gives you the right to think you can teach chemistry you know, all, all of this stuff you know I heard it a million times and um it's it's not that <laughs> when, when what we're doing actually is taking that full responsibility on it's a really measured decision It's a, it's it's tough uh you but you what you're trying to do is you you you're separating um education from state because mm-hmm. that's what it is at the end of the day like that state education and if you if you question for a second what what they're being taught and how they're being taught You are very quickly shut down by the masses and you know the the biggest put down is well you know free education is a human right and all and all of this kind of thing it's like yeah okay of course education should be there for everybody like no homeschooler is ever going to say the opposite you know it's not like we're ardently against this thought of no You know, know, shut it all down. Of course not. Education is so important to us that we want to take control of it. And and how can anyone question that decision? It's Mm -hmm. I'm taking complete control of this because I feel that I would know best as a parent. I am closest to this other human being that I brought into the world. I can see what sets them alight. I can see what they're bored by, and I can get in the way in you know very subtle and nuanced ways and help them nurture what they are truly passionate about. And at the end of the day, of course, they're going to be able to do basic math and basic spelling and basic grammar and write a letter and you know all of this kind of stuff. that's all going to be taken care of. No problem. But guess what? If they find what they are truly passionate about, and they can just start learning as they want on their time, and get pulled into a rabbit hole. It's like whenever us now as adults, we get pulled into the rabbit hole of whatever you're trying to learn about, you can't stop learning. You just can't stop it. Whereas if you put them into a situation where they're bored by 90% of the classes, or they, they, for whatever reason, they, they don't, kind of get on with 90% of their classmates that they're forced into being around, that's a pretty dim place to be. And I just hope that coming out of COVID, parents that have had the opportunity to be around their kids a little bit more, if, the, if their kids are pushing back about going back to school, I just hope you take that step back and really listen and assess your options because there's more options now than there's ever been available before in the and I'll use air quotes alternative education space there's an answer it's not just put them back on the yellow bus there is yeah. something out there
0: yeah yeah and there's a and and for those parents that maybe feel a little bit daunted that they uh don't feel that like they won't be able to hack it or to be successful at it. The great thing now is because of the growth. There's a bigger and broader community. So there are people who are saying, "You know what? I've actually done it for years and have kids who are grown, and we just never really t- spoke about it because we felt like we were the only ones doing it or ones who said, I've been doing it for 10 years and this is, this is how it's been working for us and it's been wonderful because of this, this, and this. You know, there's, there's a lot more people to reach out to as well, which is a huge value in that too, as it grows.
1: That is so key. There are so many different Facebook groups now. Like community is key. Like, you know, like Seth Gilman yeah, would say, you know, is. find your tribe. Yeah. That's and right, the yeah. tribes now are so vast. And I remember when we were researching this back in 2013, uh, end of and start of 2014, even then you'd do a Google search, you'd still get some hits. Now, Mm -hmm. my God, like even the personal blogs of families that have done this or are doing this are so inspiring. And Instagram became a huge thing. And you can follow nomadic families that are doing this thing. You know, P, you know, so many stories of converting an old school bus of all things and making yeah. it into a mobile home and, and going around and world schooling and driving around different continents. There are so many uh. different things that people have done that is uh, so inspiring. So there's so much more information out there. And if, if you are, you know, considering doing something new, figure out, you know, do, if you want to travel with your kids and show them the world and, and educate them that way as we come out of, of COVID, it could be one of the best times to do it. You, you could probably get amazing deals around the world uh, for, for accommodation or, or flights and fall into world school communities that are already set up in these places. There are world schooler hubs like popping up all over the world, Um and I'll just give a quick shill to the, the platform that we have our kids on now, um, three out of our four. And this is another important, before I go into that, this is another important thing to consider. Uh, our oldest, uh, she is now, she'll be 16 this year. She chooses to go and she, we, we live in France and she wants to go and get her uh, international baccalaureate. So she's at the local lycée, but that's her choice. That is her choice to go there and she's doing really well and she enjoys it and she likes hanging out with her friends and that's all good. She's getting Mm -hmm. good grades, but that wouldn't matter to us either, even if she wasn't. As long as she is voluntarily going and she is enjoying it and she has the option of choice, This is such a huge thing to be able to teach our kids at such a young age. The reason, Robin, we got stuck in careers for 30, 40, 50 years is because we were forced to go to school for that first 15, 20 years of our lives. This is what we knew. Don't question. Just put your head down (laughs) and grind it out. Um, But my other three kids are on a platform called uh, GalileoXP.com.
0: Oh, yeah. I know Galileo
1: XP, yeah. You do? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they've been going for um, uh, a full year now, just over, and they have almost 200 students from all around the world. They have facilitators from all around the world. They have different clubs. They don't even call them lessons. They call them clubs. Then they have nano degrees uh, where somebody, a special guest will show up for a month and do a nano degree on a certain subject, whatever that might be. And this is for kids aged uh, 8 to 18 years of age. And my three kids are loving it. They're thriving in it. It It's freed up my wife and I to um, concentrate on more day-to-day things. They're not bothering us every two seconds. They are self-motivated. They are self-organized. And it's, it's truly amazing to watch how how they're blossoming under this completely decentralized online school where they're always interacting with people from goodness knows where and more and more students are joining all the time and it's just an amazing project but that won't be the only one there will be many more that come along like this
0: yeah, that's right. I agree. Yeah, I am familiar with it. And, and I know the beauty of it is it really caters to self-directed learners, to the students that are looking to, uh, you know, self-determination and having that choice, which is wonderful. So, yeah, I've, I've looked through the programs. I actually know someone who was working with Galileo as well, a friend of mine um, in Canada. So, yeah. I think it's a fantastic platform. Is
1: that platform. Stacey by any chance?
0: Yeah, it is Stacy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was just on her podcast too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Stacey's great. <laughs> She's fantastic. Excellent. So that, that also brings me, I you know we're talking about, I think really the theme, right? Um, decentralization, autonomy, choice, uh, self-determination. <laughs> and, you know, that brings about a topic that I really wanted to talk to you more about today, and I know I, I got a little bit of background and where you're coming from, and those who don't know you can kind of get an idea of, of your family's movement and flow into the world you're in now. Um, but there's a theme that I think is common, and I think it comes up, especially for families that choose to leave the system and unschool. And, you know, that is around, that's the Bitcoin and I think there is actually a lot of crossover between the two communi- communities. Um, and I think you probably agree with me as well, but it's not talked about a lot as of yet. Um, so that is one thing I really wanted to talk about today. So I thought first maybe you could... Briefly and as as simply as we can, maybe for those that are new to Bitcoin, maybe or unclear, explain what Bitcoin is. Uh, maybe we can take the approach of the difference between Bitcoin and like the the fiat system, the monetary system that we that most are familiar with right now, and then why, blitf, like why Bitcoin is, I think a. a I'm trying to think, you know, unschooling is like a way of life, really. It's not just something we do from time to time. And I think there's a lot of crossover with that, with the beliefs and values of Bitcoin as well, and having self-determination, autonomy, decentralization. But I'll let you take it over now. And maybe you can, uh, maybe you don't agree with me. I don't know. (laughs) Let me know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, man, it's such a great question. It's such a, a wide open one. Okay, Um, if you, so when you decide to take charge of your kid's education, and I said it before, you know, when when you, you you separate education from state, you fall down this rabbit hole of understanding When, when you really start looking into and digging deep into, um, you know, when you start from first principles, why was school, even started you know ask yourself that question what is school and you there are some brilliant brilliant interviews out there you know John Taylor Gatto go and listen to a few of his YouTube interviews or find some of the really old John Holt H-O-L-T some of Mm -hmm. his uh, early interviews and this is wow you know oh my god okay now i get it now i'm thinking in a completely different way and when you apply that to our um, monetary system our financial system and fiat currency you you have the same epiphany you 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 want to take more control you you want to separate money from state and that to 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 some people that are hearing this for the first time they're going to think that's a really kind of like flagrant thing to say but
0: yeah, that, <laughs> <somehow>. <laughs> what,
1: what what we what we actually have right now is so if I, if i you know i use the analogy with the education system the education system you have a top down monopolistic control over what people learn you have the education minister in each country that decides what those people that um, however many millions of people of educational age are going to learn for that year or the next five years or next 10 years, however long that curriculum is going to last. And that's it. No questions. No questions asked. This is what you're learning. This is how you're going to learn it. And, you know, that that gets passed down to the governing bodies of the schools that hover over the schools and go around and check them and Uh, you know, make sure they're following regulations. And then you have the head teachers that pass these rules and regulations down to the teachers. And then the teachers have to just force feed and jam this information down kids' necks. So what's going on in the monetary system is we have a monopolistic control at the very, very top of our money. What we use every single day to communicate with each other we are communicating with each other through the medium of money the prices of goods and services should be left to the free market to decide the value of that good or service that that person is offering however what we have is a completely manipulated system where those in control at the very tippy tippy top and if i use um the analogy of the Federal Reserve in the in the u s uh, and obviously central banks all around the world, but you know the Federal mm-hmm. Reserve firstly there's nothing federal about it it's not a government entity it is right. a privately owned um corporation it's never That's been audited
0: never yeah right
1: it's never been audited ever. And there are anywhere between six to a dozen private stakeholders that expect anywhere between a 6 to 12% dividend every single year. And all they do is print money and manipulate interest rates. And because the US dollar is the global reserve currency, all of our trade on a grand scale, any commodity, whether it's anything from soybean, corn, wheat, to palm oil, to crude oil that is being shipped all around the world, that is getting settled in US dollars. So every time they make these decisions in their closed little door offices and come out and announce it to the world, what they're doing with interest rates and how much money they're printing to create stimulus into the economy, sends ripple effects around the world, and it's a disastrous, disastrous system. And somehow we've been asleep to it for, well, since 1971, since we came off the gold standard under under Nixon.
0: Right. So So what we get... Very very quickly, when we talk about the gold standard, everything was pegged against gold, and gold was really considered, um, like it didn't fluctuate as much, I guess you could say, because you had to, when you, when you pegged something against gold, you had to have that gold. You had to prove that you had that amount. And therefore you can say, well, I'll say, you know, I, I, here's $20 and you had to prove that you had $20 in collateral of actual worth of gold with you. Well, but that's what changed in nineteen seventy one I think probably some everyone should go and research a little bit about that as well, but just to give a little bit of an idea or background for those that this is completely new to what it mm-hmm. means what the gold standard actually meant
1: yes, absolutely. and if anybody listening to this is kind of like yeah well i'm not I'm never going to go and research that. I don't have the time. I'll save you the time. You can go to w t f happened in nineteen seventy one dot com Okay. And <laughs>
0: I'll, they, I'll add that to the show notes. I yeah, <laughs> please do. What okay. okay. Please W-T-F. do. It
1: happened what in 1971.
0: It? Okay. Okay.
1: And this is, th- these are just graphs. They're just a series of graphs. And under each graph is like one or two sentences explaining what that graph is. And you will see the effect it's had not only on the economy, but also on society and uh, even broken down demographically of the disastrous effects of moving away from from hard money what we would call hard money or sound money are the two um, terms that are used in the space um, and to give a little bit more context to to the listeners uh, what how did the u.s have this You know, power in the first place to be um, pegging the U.S. dollar to the price of gold, and then all of the currencies around the world would fluctuate fluctuate against the U.S. dollar. But the U.S. dollar was always priced to the um, the gold price in ounces. Uh, That came about just after the Second World War, when many European countries were exporting their gold to the U.S. for safekeeping. So a lot of the gold ended up in the U.S. Uh, during the Second World War, for obvious reasons, and in 1944, that's when the the like the latest gold standard uh, was agreed upon, and the price was agreed upon, and the U.S. Um, central bank, the Federal Reserve, would and, and the banks, obviously, um, would like you said, would only issue U.S. dollars compared to the amount of gold that they had in storage. And gold stock rises around 1% to 2% per year of the total stock because of the mining efforts. And that's how the money should have risen. But no, after 1971, we came away from that. And they were given this right to print as much money as they want when they wanted it and to control and manipulate interest rates. Interest rates should be set by the free market. The free market, the people should decide on the interest rates, not a, a guy in a tie or, like, before that, you know, Janet Yellen. Like, who has the divine right to do that? So, to bring this back to Bitcoin, when, when, when you have this, this network that was invented in 2008. Uh, and released in in 2009 the network that was invented what, what they were trying to solve was how can we the people around the world that are providing the goods and services how can we invent a medium of exchange that is purely fair and can only be uh, and, and can be completely tracked for the whole of its life and there will only be x amount there will only be in this case in bitcoin there'll only ever be 21 million bitcoin so the network was was fixed they solved this computer scientific problem based on decades of research and failure there's been many attempts at doing an what we would call an e-currency even back in the 70s they were trying to work this out and it wasn't until 2008 that all of these threads were pulled together and you know they they found the perfect for now they found the perfect uh, solution and um, it, it's truly a remarkable invention an amazing amazing piece of technology that the social implications alone uh that you know are just like for humanity and global society is just going to I'm so bullish for the future of going back to something that is so sound and hard and true that we can exchange our value with each other without permission without going to a bank and showing them our passport and showing them our driver's license and filling out all of their forms and you know, begging them cap in hand to, to let us open a bank account. No, all I need is an internet and I'm part of this, this monetary network that is being built in front of our eyes. And you can probably hear the passion in my voice. That's, that's (laughs) why I started, that's why I started a, a podcast about it because I couldn't stop thinking about the implications of, of this. And, And it, it, Touches every facet of life, and it's it's just completely amazing that I learned uh, more in the last year than I've ever learned in my entire life by interviewing the people that I've been able to interview and by interacting with with Bitcoin and um, what I ultimately believe will be the the future of money for for not just my kids but their kids and generations behind them. And it's like this once-in-a-lifetime shift that you 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 just feel such a privilege to be able to watch and study and document that I, I really I implore people to 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 tune into a podcast, whether it's mine or not, it doesn't matter. There are many out there, or or a book, or read an article. Uh, you know get curious just ask the question what is money if you Mm -hmm. ask that question
0: I think that's a great place to start if you're really new to it uh, just understand mm -hmm. that what is money yeah what does it mean where you know where does it where did it start and and what has been the the history of it as well up to now
1: yeah it's it's a journey and you're obviously on the same journey as I am
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in so many ways, I think, um, I mean, a lot of my podcasts, obviously, and you know, what we were talking about before is about disrupting education. And I think now with the past year with COVID and the changes, things are being disrupted more so than they ever have been before. But I think that also comes along with disruptions in other areas and systems as well. And, you know, I think there's, if it's not a disruption, it's a change in economic ideas and policies as well. Um, And, you know, I think for maybe someone who's not familiar fully with what we're talking about, I think a great, interesting example would be even the Robin Hood case, you know, that just happened as well with, with, um, you know, the trading and how that was shut down by certain powers of control or powers that be as well, where there was all of a sudden, you know, free access and market in so many ways that couldn't continue because, I mean, there was a different trickle up effects that it was affecting people that, you know, or, or uh, large companies or a certain individuals. But um yeah, it's, It's a time of interesting change for sure. Uh, And I think that unschooling and stepping out of that traditional education structure, many families are seeing because it becomes a way of life, homeschooling, uh, you know, it's just not a starts at nine, ends at three, and that's the only time. We do it. It's a life lifelong journey. It's something that encompasses every single day and part of our life. So other things in your life are affected. And it's it's what you said. You start looking at things differently. You start looking at systems differently. You start looking at uh, responsibility differently. And you start questioning things in a different way as well. So yeah, it's it's a long learning journey. I think you're much farther down the path than I am. But the other thing I I also see which is great with homeschooling, home education, and unschooling. Uh, we're talking about the personal responsibility is as much as personal responsibility can be difficult, it's very empowering as well. And what I have been learning and that I like about Bitcoin, because some people might say, well, it's not accessible for everyone that, you know, it's only, you know, even what I hear sometimes for homeschooling, it's only for the privileged who can do that, um, which I don't agree with, actually. <laughs> I think in, you know, the, it's, you know, there's creative ideas and is accessible to everyone, but same with Bitcoin. Um, the It is actually, it makes monetary wealth uh, or wealth and accessibility, I think, is actually very open, more so than many uh, realized in the beginning, but... Yeah, that's just that's just the start of my journey. But yeah, well,
1: what I try and explain to people is um, it's uh, first and foremost the store of value, because the the value that you that the wealth that you've accrued so far throughout all of your working years and your hard work and the time that you've completely sacrificed. And this brings us all the way back to, you know my story at the beginning. I was sacrificing time, mm-hmm. huge amounts of time, uh, away from my family because I thought that was the right thing to do, because that's how I got paid and that's how I kept them safe and, and whatever else. But w- when you realize that your time is being stolen through inflation, and inflation is being driven. By this monopolistic control. And the way they do it is by manipulating the interest rates whenever they want and by printing the money whenever they want. And it's not just printing like physically going to a printing machine and pressing print. It's literally typing extra zeros in the balance sheet at the Federal Reserve. And then when they do that, extra zeros end up on the, the balance sheet of banks. And this is what drives inflation, because they then lend that money out at very low interest rates to their AAA rated huge corporate accounts. And then they're a rated, and then they're A rated, then they're B, and blah, blah, blah. And by the time it gets down to the, your general Joe, what was getting lent to Apple at 0.1% is now getting lent to you at you know, three percent or three and a quarter percent, whatever. This is this is huge. That that in itself is inflation. But mm-hmm. all of these, meanwhile, and people think, well, no, I you know, I measure inflation by CPI, consumer price index. Uh, <laughs> what what they put in the consumer price index are things like, you know, your your local groceries or your um, your 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 gas or heating oil or even stupid things like haircuts and stuff like that and that is done for a reason they can manipulate that basket of goods that they hand pick themselves monthly that's how they do it whereas meanwhile the stock markets on the absolute all-time high it's ever been
0: mm-hmm. the
1: education the college education that you aspire for your kid to go to has just gone up quietly an extra $5,000 without you even realizing because, you know, your kid's not going to go to school anyway in the next five years. And the, the cost of house, that the, the house you aspire to be in has just gone up 15% in the last year, but I don't count all that. So what, and what they do when, when, when they flood the system with this extra cash, they devalue every single dollar you've ever worked for and saved from before. That gets devalued. And the the, the perfect example I try and give to people, well, maybe it's imperfect, but you know, um, I, I try and teach this to kids, um, like Pokemon cards. If you've got a bunch of Pokemon cards, you might have that one silver card that is uh, like a really strong card and it's brilliant. And you know that if you ever were to trade that card, you could probably get three or four normal cards in return for that. Now, if the Pokemon guys overnight printed 3 million of those silver cards into existence the next morning, what's going to happen to the value of the card that you had yesterday? And I ask kids this all the time, and they get it. It's intuitive. They yeah. say, would it be worthless? Yeah. That's what they're doing to our cash. Yeah. And when they do that, they're stealing our time. They're devaluing everything we've ever done in the past. And it's disgusting. <laughs> and it's, it's so bad that they have this control, but then they spin it in the media that they're doing it for our benefit. And now they're going to try and spin UBI around the world. And I know there's um, you know a lot of concern about this in Canada. And that then... Decentivizes people to even go out into the marketplace to create the goods and services in the first place that create the economy The whole thing's on its head So bitcoin is the answer and the fact that we can just take all that power away from them We can take the money that we've already earned in the past And I can exchange it and canada has brilliant exchanges. They have great companies over there And I can exchange it with these people and I don't have to do everything all at once god, please don't do that just a hundred bucks a week or something for the next year and learn about it as you go. But at least you're storing your value. It's what you've already worked for. Store it in something else away from the system that is just bleeding it. And I hope that's resonated with a few people. I'm Sorry if I got a bit ranty.
0: <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> I think this show is about getting ranty and whatever anyone is passionate about that comes on. So, no, fair enough. I, um, you know, it's one of those topics as well that it can be so deep that, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface today. I definitely encourage, uh, you know, parents parents who are just listening to this for the first time to to research more and find out more if you can there are like there's your podcast once bitten um there's a lot of information out there now as well there's uh i know courses that you can even take on cryptocurrency i think my husband was actually telling me about when i hate to say i can't remember uh the name right now but i know um I'm on Clubhouse, so there's a lot of information going on Clubhouse right now, uh, about Bitcoin. Um Yeah,
1: if you if you're gonna to head to cl- Clubhouse, just go to one room, Cafe Bitcoin.
0: Cafe Bitcoin, that's, yeah.
1: That's the most reputable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is. Some great conversations and usually there's some bigger inner ones. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting journey. I know there's another book as well. There's a kid's book. Um, is it the Bitcoin Rabbi? I think yep, is his name. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. My my kids read it, but that's another good one for even just basic introduction of how, you know, the monetary system and how all of that works as well. So, yeah. It's great
1: for adults. I love it that is. book. It yeah, is, it is a really brilliant. good one. Yeah. Uh, and if you, so if you start, yeah. So the three I would mention is that one that you, you've you referenced. Um, middle of the road uh, kind of introduction to Bitcoin. There's, um a couple of books that are only like uh, like 150 pages long, um, but do a great job. There's one called Why Buy Bitcoin by Andy Edstrom. I think that's a really very good introductory piece. And then if you want to, you know, just go that little extra step, uh, hit the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amus and it it looks heavier than it really is um both in like uh, terms of reading and physical uh weight uh but it's such a great interesting read and it's unlocked so many people's view on on what's going on and he 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 really starts with the the history of money and it's you'd be you'd be shocked at how interested you can get almost immediately in understanding the history of money. Uh, it's not something we we're ever taught at school, and don't get me started on why. <laughs> uh, I think we probably all know why. Um, but when you when you start reading it and start learning about it, it it truly does honestly become intuitive. And it's not work at all to start studying. Studying is the wrong word. Um, That's what we call falling down the rabbit hole um, in in the Bitcoin community.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think uh, the Bitcoin standard is one of the first ones my husband had read. And so I know I think my father-in-law had borrowed it. So we'll have to get it back and I'll have to delve into that one. But uh, what I'll do is I'll add all of those onto the show notes as well. And the Bitcoin Rabbi. I'll, I'll look up the title of that book as well, and and so people have a reference when they go to the show notes too, if they're looking for those to to learn more about as well.
1: I think it might just be called Bitcoin yeah. Kids. Um, I'm trying to trying to picture it. Uh, I can find in it other room. I'll find yeah. It okay. Anyway, again. yeah, yeah. Put it in the show notes.
0: Okay. I will. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, this is something I know we're getting onto our time and I want to be respectful of your time too. And we could go down the rabbit hole even further, but I think, you know, at least it's an introduction to families if they are just hearing and learning about it, especially those who are now, you know, have those questions like, you know, why did... You know, we've all you know, you hear sometimes, well, why do we do it this way? Because we've always just done it this way. But when you step beyond that and start learning about, you know, why do things run a certain way? Why why is this happening? What's the connection to this, especially when it comes to our economy and money, uh, I know for you and I, because we're not American, we have a different uh, probably viewpoint on some things, but we also are heavily influenced by the United States. And we see that very clear and well, because we are not American as well and how much of an influence it has on our uh, economy and culture as well. So um, I think that gives us a different stance on things too. But um, yeah. what else would you like to add?
1: Um, I've just remembered the name of the book Bitcoin money. it was that simple okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the Bitcoin rabbi. Um, anything else I want to add uh, go for it Just go <laughs> for it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're there. you're there you, you, you've done you've done the research if you're listening to this podcast, this is it. This is the research there's no turning back. Don't turn back. Don't listen to the doubters. You, you, you've you probably got to have some very uncomfortable conversations coming your way, whether that's with very close fa- uh, friends uh, and, um, you know, mums and dads and brothers and sisters, they're all going to tell you you're crazy. Don't listen. This is in you. This is it. This is now. This is the time. Go do it. You can always come back. And I think that's the point that I reached when I realized, I think I said, I turned to my wife and said, wow, think of like the the agony we've been through the last six weeks talking about this, like you know, not getting any sleep, and, you know, our heads getting turned upside down. If we don't do this, imagine turning around to each other in 15 years when the kids are gone and saying, yeah. hmm, I wonder what if...
0: Yeah. Don't, what, don't what would live happen-
1: with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that's don't right. Don't live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Take the step. Yeah. It's well worth it. And I think for many, that's right. If you're listening to this and you're already you're already part way into the on that journey, or you're looking at taking the step onto the journey, it, for sure there's going to be obstacles and doubters, but it is well worth it. The the beauty and the the bonuses, the the gifts, are far outweigh all of that. So. Yeah,
1: thank you. 100%. Well, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for inviting me on. It has been uh, been great to be here. I, I hope um, this adds some value to to some people. And um, thank you for doing what you're doing and everything that uh, you're trying to add back to the community and, and share what you've learned and your experiences. Uh, so, yeah, hats Thanks. off. I, I really appreciate you uh, you doing this.
0: Thank you. And likewise, right back at you. And I'm I'm happy you came on the show and and thank you for all the value that you're providing the community too. So it's it's very grateful. And I just want to say if anybody has questions, because I'm sure I'll probably get questions and emails after this airs, (laughs) um, you can definitely send them to me. Uh, And is there a way that anybody can reach out to you? Is Twitter the best way? Uh, Through your your website? Uh, How can anyone reach out and find out more?
1: Yeah, the, the website is uh my surname, Prince. Uh well princesoffthegrid.weebly.com. dot com. And yeah, you can come find me on Twitter. It's that's at Princey uh one nine seven six. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh you might see some Kind of crazy, weird Bitcoin stuff going up there because it's <laughs> uh, it's a crazy community and uh, and everyone's there for a bit of fun at the end of the day, and uh, we we can get into some heated debates with certain individuals, um, but it's all tongue in cheek. It's all great fun, and I do of course post alternative education um, tools and insights there as well, and I've had. Many people on the show that that have something to add to, you know, both sides of this conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I've actually listened to some of your episodes when you've had other unschoolers on or so. Yeah, it's good. It's really, really good. Let's let's grow the community. And I'll add that in the show notes as well too. your website. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate coming on. Anytime. Take care. Thank you.